Hey there, and welcome to this month's edition of the Every Woman's Story with Stonecroft podcast. I'm your host, um, Naomi Kramer-Overton, and my co-host, Elisa Cortez-Bast, is not with us today, so we can say really nice things about her behind her back. Um, she's fantastic. But I want to first uh, start by saying welcome to this community where we believe that every person is invited to sit at Jesus' table and that we hope through exploring our guests' story and the Bible story, you're going to discover more of the life-giving story that you're here for. So with that, I get to introduce our guest for today, who is Tammy Heim. First of all, hey, Tammy. Hey, how are you? So good to see you. You too. It is such a joy to get to talk to you today and learn more about how your story has been made amazing and colorful as you um, leaned into God's story. So a little bit about Tammy. She is president and CEO of Christian Leadership Alliance, and she serves on many nonprofit boards. She and her husband lead mission teams to Haiti to love and disciple orphans. And that's actually how you and I met, mm -hmm. right? Yes, yeah. our very first encounter, I was sharing our adoption journey and you stopped everything to pray for her. Yes. And I will remember that moment. I mean, I think we were in an exhibit hall. We were, we were. And you just, and I was so overwhelmed with just your instant response. It was like you, you right where my heart was and God used you so sweetly in that moment. So sweetly. And God really brought your daughter to you too. I think you were in the process of trying to adopt her. Was that right at that time? Yes, it was a four-year journey. Oh, so, wow. um, and we we met her when she was three. We didn't get her home till she was eight. And now yeah. she's going to be 17 in November. No way. Crazy. Oh my gosh. Yes. That's amazing. Wow. It wow. Is. So you're about to be an empty nester. Well, I don't know, never, we'll never, never. But, you know, it depends on where she decides if she wants to go to college, where, you know, how close it'll be. Maybe she'll still be living at home for a little while. Okay. Okay. Yes. My husband and I never really landed on the empty nest. We had the birds landing and departing and, and coming back again. So that's, that's, well, we did, but, you know, that was having the older daughter. I mean, I have a daughter that's almost 40. Oh my so goodness. We emptied to fill again. <laughs> so. The refilling nest. Yes. I love that. Yes. Well, as we like to do, we love to start by understanding your story and starting with this idea of a spark story or something where you go, you know, that little spark of life kind of is something that maybe has continued on. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love to hear, Tammy, if you could tell us a little bit about a story that kind of is emblematic of the, the life that's within you. Well, I think it goes back, and I mentioned this in the story that I wrote about my Hungarian grandmother. Um, when it was time for me to go to school, and I was seven and ready for the first grade, um, there was a, a Catholic school right down the street. And my parents, you know, just made some bad decisions when they were really young. And for some reason, they were living their whole life believing they were outside of God's mercy and grace. So they really didn't have any interest in faith or religion, but my grandmother said, no, this one, I'm going to make sure that she knows about the faith. And so she arranged for me to go to that school at the end of the street. But part of the condition was that I had to put an envelope with $7 bills in it every Sunday in order for them to let me attend school there. And so she did that for 12 years. And 
My spark was my parents would not go with me. And sometimes it's hard to imagine sending a seven-year-old down a long street across a busy street into a great big building all by themselves to put the envelope in. And I remember going in and um, a big, beautiful, ornate Catholic church and tons and tons of pews filled with families, large families, all coming together in this place of worship. And I remember walking down that aisle for the very first time and looking at all of those families and being there by myself. And I went all the way to the front row and I sat there. And when it was time for the plate to pass, I put my, my envelope in there. And I remember just sitting there saying, I'm just going to keep coming here. And one day I'm going to believe God that you're going to forgive whatever it is with my parents so that they might be here with me. And, um, it wasn't until the story that I shared in about my salvation, that was in May of 1980. And then in July in 2018, when it was time for my baptism, I went into the water with my high school sweetheart, my mother, my father, my sister, and my brother. And the Sunday after that baptism, my family filled the pew. And um, I think of being such a young child. And when I think of the scripture, I think of Romans 4, 20 through 22 and the references to Abraham. And the scripture says he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he would also be able to perform. And therefore it was accounted to him as righteousness. And what sticks with me, Naomi, is that being fully convinced that somehow in that seven-year-old heart, not even knowing God, just in love with the idea of him, I was fully convinced that if I just kept showing up, there was a promise of fulfilling this desire in my heart that would happen. And my hashtag is no turning back. And that was really how I felt. And that, that, that just lives on in so many of my stories. I love that hashtag, no turning back. Every woman's story, no turning back. I love that. Yeah. Wow. Well, we're going to, first of all, I I have seen you in a similar uh, seat of influence. Your, your article that we're highlighting this month is about how influence comes from t- trusting God, which you've just described. But I've seen you in that same, you kind of almost shepherded your parents, you know, into the a place of being able to explore faith and be in a faith community. And I've watched you as in your leadership position with Christian Leadership Alliance, I've watched you do that with ministry leaders. And you, you know, a lot of people would be like, okay, I, I got to go take care of those other people now, but you know, and I got to go love them up or whatever, but you actually, I, I see you come alive when you're doing that same activity of saying, Hey, I see potential in you or you know, come closer and you can learn this thing. And, and so I see that spark in, in the work you're doing today. So that's so Thank fun. Me. Really God's influence. I mean, really only because of him, I was such a different person before I met him. It was so about me. So about my ambition. So about what I wanted to do. And, um, it was radical, the change when I met Jesus. Yeah, we're going to get back into that story in a little bit. But first, I want to do some kind of lighthearted stuff about yes. like what, what 
like you on your happiest day and what you are up to. So, um, so we have some questions that we often ask. So you are having this fully alive. Oh my goodness. The world is just amazing day. Yes. And I'd love to know any of the following. What are you wearing? What are you carrying with you? And why did you choose that? Um, who's with you? What makes this day so amazing? So fully alive. And when you think of people in the Bible in God's story, who kind of lives fully alive in the way that you feel fully alive when you're having your best day? Well, I am wearing my black cargo pants and a very bright purple Columbia shirt, the ones that have all the pockets on them. I am wearing next to none on the makeup front, and my hair is all knotted up in braids so that it is not a distraction to me. I have on my crossbody bag, and in it, I've got a camera, I have sunglasses, I have a comb, I have wipes, I have um, a bottle of water, a little bag of nuts, some of those hot, spicy jawbreakers, those atomic jawbreakers, uh, a few little activity books, markers, chalk, string of beads, and a little tiny bottle of nail polish. And I am heading off to this sweet little village in Jeremy, Haiti. And I have with me my family, some beloved friends who have gone there so many times with me. And we are getting ready to go and see 133 orphans and love them up, invest in them, be fully present to them, fully anticipating that God's going to show up, knowing that he always does, and just to, to supplant seeds of truth into their life. And um, that's just such a happy place for me um, to be able to be on the front line and to serve that way. And, you know, I mean, that's such a good question of like, who do you think of in the Bible? And whenever I'm reading, when Paul writes his letters, he is so full of love and affection to the communities where he's been. Um, he he loves them so well. And he spends time talking about how thankful he is for them, how he cares about them. And I love how often he expressed how he aches to be with them again and how he rejoices in the stories of them doing well and them being faithful. And that's always how I feel when we had the chance, we haven't been able to go for several years now, but when we were able to go very often, um, just to see them and be with them again. But that outfit, I'm equipped. I'm ready for everything every time I go. And it is definitely a happy place. That sounds wonderful. I love it down to the color of the purple shirt, you know, that it's bright purple. I can imagine, although I've never seen your hair in braids, because you and I tend to see each other in kind of um, yes. ministry leadership settings. But um, but if I'm just imagining like you have lots of braids, like it's really fun, almost, you know, like a very, I don't know. Lots very... of French braiding all kind of woven together. And um, because more than likely uh, the girls at the orphanage are going to take it down and reassemble it for me. Oh, nice. Yes. That's... So I never know what I'm going to look like coming back, but it is their happy place to be able to do that. <laughs> so much I fun. love it. I love it. Do they ever ask you to braid their hair? Because you obviously are showing up showing that you know how to braid hair. 
Yes, as a matter of fact, um, I was trained well on how to do that. And that was a foreshadowing, obviously, of adopting a little girl from Haiti that um, in her early years when she came back. So, I, you know, God was preparing. God was preparing me for that assignment and how to do it. So um, just sweet, sweet memories there. That is, I mean, it means a lot when someone braids your hair, you know. It, yes. It's about well, to it's have the that touch. Happen. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And that uh, there's a, an affection in that. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well, that does lead me to your article about how influence comes from trusting God. And it makes me think about your grandma. And yes. when mm -hmm. I read your story, you know, some of the people who are viewing this or listening to this are grandmas. I would imagine just like logistically, everybody has a grandma, whether they know them or not, maybe a different question. But Oh my goodness. Let's, let's start with her. Like, do you have any idea what her backstory was that she could trust God enough to, to reach out in the way she did to you? Well, they were first generation Hungarian immigrants and um, they were of the Roman Catholic faith and they came over and they moved into Indianapolis in a little place that was called Hallville. And it was kind of where Hungarian and German immigrants landed together in community. And she went to mass every day at 5.30. And when she had me, I went with her. And this was the time when it was full of incense and she had prayer books and she had holy cards and she had little medals and she had a secretary and there was a key and I knew where the key was. And if I was good, she'd let me take the key and I'd open the secretary and I would be able to go through her prayer missiles and all of her holy cards. And she would come up to me and she would say, Marishka because that was my name in Hungarian, Marishka, the lives of these people are holy, holy. They gave their life for their love of God. And one day you will grow up and be holy, just like them. And I, I'm not sure I fully understood all that, but, but they were so beautiful. Um, the pictures, you know, of the saints and just the, the stories that were written on the back of the cards. So she was really committed to teaching me how to pray, talking about God all the time. I mean, I really was enthralled with her devotion to God and what she saw in him. And, and it was centered to her life. Uh, and that was always really inspiring, which is why, as I said before, when it was time for me to go to school, she's like, this child is going to go and have a Christian education. And back in those days, for her to come up with $7 every week, that was a huge sacrifice. Huge. Wow. I think about the trust it, it must have taken her. Um, yes. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, the other thing it makes me think about is how our influence comes from what we trust. And so, you know, all of us have people in our lives who we've seen them delight in something, just like your grandmother delighted in these cards and these people in the Bible. And, and getting up even, I don't know if she delighted in getting up at probably 5am, yes. <laughs> but she yes. got, it, which showed a commitment. And, um, and I'm just struck by just even the simplest thing of what we delight in, how mm. that can be an area of our influence. Um, if you're like me, it's easy for me to delight in things that I'm not sure what I want to influence people toward. Like I, I love to cook and I, mm. that's great. You know, um, I haven't raised, well, actually 
<laughs> not true. <laughs> Two of my three kids do cook and, and the third would like to. Um, but I even think about that, that how do we maybe cultivate that kind of passion in our lives for God, like your grandmother did? How, how have you done that, Tammy? Well, I, I didn't really step into that until, you know, again, after my salvation, but I think there was just such a hunger and thirst and I did see things very differently. I saw my purpose every day. I would say before Christ, I was always thinking about what am I doing today that's going to help me advance tomorrow, right? It was a very calculated, it wasn't be present in the day, it was do something today that's going to lead to a better tomorrow. I, I always believed that, you know, I could rewrite my story and that I could have a better life than what I saw my parents had when they, when I was growing up. And so the motivation was different, but then after I came to Christ, I was just so present in the moment. Um, I was more present to people. I was more present to him. I found myself always looking for him. And even to this day, Naomi, regardless of what happens, I'm always like, okay, Lord, I want to see you in this, whether it's good or whether it's hard or whether it's heartbreaking. It's like, what is it you want me to know? What is it you want me to see? Let me experience your character in this time. And so, you know, that's a different kind of posture and a position when you're just really looking for what God is doing in each and every day. And then with people, and you'll appreciate this, Naomi, because I know as you've grown in your in your leadership, there's a lot of times there's assessments and there are tests and there's things that help us understand ourselves better, right? The masterpiece, the poem that we are, that God has designed us to be. And for me, those have been beautiful ways for me to understand and maybe get a glimpse of the beauty that God has made in someone. Like to find out about what they value and what their spiritual gifts are and what are their talents and how are they wired and just knowing that there's something beautiful and unique there. And so that cultivation is, oh, how do I be on assignment to bring out God's best um, in the people that I have the opportunity to lead with, to live with, and to love life with? Mm. Wow. There's so many things there I want to follow up on. One of them is uh, you know, one of the values of this community is we um, try to really tell very honest, authentic stories, even the hard parts, maybe especially sometimes the hard parts. So you were talking about looking for where is God in this? Now, when our child is getting ready to graduate from high school or something like that, you know, it's like, oh my goodness, God's brought them so far, you know? Yes. Those are easier times. But I know I've had times where I'm like, I really don't like this. I'm not even sure it's fair. <laughs> right. I'm not even sure it's right. And then have tried to have that same prayer of God, help me not miss any Amen. lesson you want me to learn here. But Amen. could you take our listeners through how you have done that maybe in a challenging situation and, and how you found greater trust from it? Of course. Um, I think there were three instances that were very defining in life. Um, after my father came to faith, he was such a gruff, uh, such a gruff guy that, I mean, many people came to faith because if they could see that transformation in my father, he was uh, a world war II veteran. And if you can imagine in the seventies, he's still wearing the flat top. 
and boys hesitated to come around the house. He was so intimidating. And, you know, he had gone through concentration camps in World War II. And this is before anybody understood how that affected people, right? So he he was hard. And um, so he came to faith. And then all these other people came to faith when he would tell his give his testimony and story. But then he got cancer. And in my 20s, I had a full-time job and I would come home and I would rest at the, the foot of his bed and I would administer the morphine, help him with his feeding tubes, do whatever. But I was in my 20s put into this caregiving. And I remember the first time I had to, you know, change his adult diapers and how hard that was. Um, and then watching him go through that and suffer and then being able to be with him actually reading the scripture that said in my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare one and being there with my brother who was my spiritual guide for so long and watching him just be escorted into heaven. So going through that at 20 and then in 40, when I was in my forties, my mother got Alzheimer's and God called us to go to Ann Arbor, Michigan. And we brought her with us without hesitation. And so for eight years, we went through you know, Alzheimer's. And she spent the last nine months of her life with in-home hospice in our home. And she never left the bed. And again, wow. sleeping at the foot of the bed at the time I was the president of borders and, and there were all the things going on in that time that was right around nine 11. And then when we went to war and so the world felt chaotic, but there I was, you know, caring for my mother and making sure that there were no bed sores or anything like that. And learning that care and then teaching my oldest daughter that care. I used to say, now pay attention, Zoe. You need to roll me every two hours and you need to keep me clean. <laughs> you know, and I just said, one day you may have to do this for me, but the privilege and love. And then in our 60s, Dale's mother, my husband, she she got bad and um, he had seven brothers and sisters, and he drove to talk about what are we going to do with mother? And he called me on the phone. He was in Louisville, which is about halfway between Nashville and, and Indianapolis. And he said, okay, here's the drill. We've got to get the master bedroom upstairs, the upstairs bedroom downstairs. We have to remove the carpets. You know the equipment you need to buy. Mom's coming to live with us. And wow. so for 18 months we were her caregiver. And um, I remember I had given her her 200th shower and she also had a little bit of dimension. So every shower we went through the exact same pattern. And I remember her <clears throat> just saying, I was like, I don't know, cutting her toenails. And she said, she was always so kind. And she said, thank you so much for doing this. It's so hard for you to do this. And I said, are you kidding me? We got the right straw. We won because we got you. We get to have you here. And then she gently went on to heaven that night. And it was hard for us because we thought she would go through a dying process similar to what we'd experienced before, but she was beautiful. She was clean. She was groomed. She had two desserts. We watched three cash cabs, played the games, and then she just went on to glory. It was just such a sweet thing. So those were hard times. Naomi, but God, God was so present in them. And the things that he did in me through that could have never happened 
had I not been in that place of really loving and giving care. Yeah. And really trusting God. Trusting him. Yeah. So you chose to write, uh, well, I think I may have invited you to write (laughs) from second Chronicles 15 and 16, um, about King Asa. Yes. As you think about how God has taught you about trusting God, what, where did you resonate with King Asa? Well, I just thought about that time. And we know in the old Testament, you know, someone comes up and they, they find the word and they're going to be in the word. And then they do what was evil on the side of the Lord. I mean, we see that pattern over and over again. So for Asa to come in there, I think what I was just so struck by was his resolve. And, and it reminded me of just how I felt after I met Jesus. It's like, I, I want to, I don't, I don't want to do these things anymore. You know, this is like a new me and this is a new birth and seeing him do that, you know, for the Jewish people and, and being diligent about, you know, we're going to get rid of all this idol stuff. And if you think about it, I mean, I had a lot of idols that I surrendered when I came to Christ and, and just wanting to do what was right in the sight of the Lord. And then seeing that that time of flourishing and peace. But even when they were assaulted for that first time, it was there was this confidence. And we see that often in the battles in scripture where, you know, the battle belongs to the Lord. And we don't do anything, but we just serve that up to him. And so I was so inspired by that because obviously he was coming to a place with the resolve in something that was not popular. Right. And I think, you know, when, when I, when I came to faith, I mean, that was a very different me and that wasn't what was popular. That's, I mean, it was almost horrific in the eighties to think that you'd go to college and then move back home with your parents. I mean, you just culturally, that was like a mark of failure, but to do that and to cancel all my dreams and to make all those phone calls and say, I'm not coming. And that was my dream. That was my dreams. All my dreams were right there in that moment. And I just gave them, gave them back to God, you know, and wanted to do what was right. So I really resonated with that. Now we know Ace's story ends up a little bit different, um, but it's the fire of the first love, right? and that passion and feeling that and just always challenging myself, like, don't lose that. Like, I don't ever want to lose that. I don't, I don't want to be in those places. And it doesn't mean we don't enter into those dark, dark nights of the soul, but those are times where our dependency on God is so sweet that it actually serves to reignite that. So that was what I was thinking about. Asa. I was really trying to put myself in what it was like to stand up and do this and then to require everyone to come in such a, to a higher standard and then to see God's favor fall in the peace and the flourishing. So sweet. Really is. And, um, you know, I just, I love second Chronicle 16, nine, you know, and I memorized it. We were talking earlier before we started about different uh, versions of the Bible that we've memorized yes. versus in. So I, I me- memorized it also in college where a lot of your transformation took place. The eyes of the Lord travel to and fro throughout the earth so that he may strongly support those whose hearts belong completely to him. And that as we, as you hinted at, that verse comes in a little sandwich where later in Asa's life, 
Yes. Rather than trusting God, this kind of antithesis of influence comes from trusting God. Rather than trusting God, even though God had proved himself faithful with 35 years of peace that he'd given after Asa was so faithful and said, hey, hey, all we're going to have a covenant with God. We're going to be wholehearted in our worship of God. We're going to tear down the idols in our lives. Um, after all that, it's almost weird, isn't it? Um, where it turns from Second Chronicles chapter 15 to 16, where there's a threat that comes in from another nation. And all of a sudden, not only is Asa not relying on God, he goes and he plunders God's house to, to buy a treaty. He goes and takes stuff out of the temple yes. to buy a treaty. Yes. It's like, is this the same guy? So, um, so, so I know that's kind of cautionary and kind of negative, but, but unfortunately the end of Asa's story was that's where he ended up. And then when this wonderful verse, the eyes of the Lord travel to and fro, that he may strongly support those who hearts are his, that was said in the context of, but Asa, you didn't. Asa, you yes. didn't do that. Yes. And so now you're going to have trouble. And so, gosh, that's scary. <laughs> oh, but you know what, Naomi, we need those reminders. I mean, I think when we get to a point where, um, we lose sight of whose we are and who we are, that we are sinners saved by grace. And it is by grace alone. And um, and we start thinking more of ourselves than we should, or we get fearful, or we get puffed up with pride. That's a dangerous place to be. And so praise God that we have examples of that, that we can see the consequence of being wholeheartedly aligned with God's purpose. And then we see what happens when they begin to do what's evil on the side of the Lord. Right. And, and, and there's a, there's a good fear. It's the fear of God, right. That gives us wisdom and knowledge. And so, um, you know, Lord, you know, I'm a sinner saved by your grace. I need you to do what it called me to do. I love, wow, 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 wow. <laughs> um, I love that. And one of the reasons I love it is because a lot of times we talk about people when they're down and out, trusting God, and then God brings them back. And we know that God does that. But what we see in the story that you dived into in the Bible with somebody who actually had had 35 years of favor and for us and, and a lot of us have areas of our lives that are like that maybe our kids have turned out really great you know or maybe my goodness tammy you've had such an incredible career and you just casually mentioned you were the president of borders you know and you're at the head of i mean i know i know and yes, you, you yeah. are very humble about it but genuinely god has placed you in incredible places of both industry influence as well as faith and nonprofit leadership influence. Um, and so when people have had a lot of favor and success like that uh, in home life or personal life or whatever, I think that's when it gets easy to go, well, maybe I'm not a sinner saved by grace. Maybe right. I'm a good leader or I'm a good mom or I'm a good whatever. And I'm a good king in Asa's point. And, um, and, and that's when it's, that's when we need to go back to that. So, you know, God is so good. Like, you know, and, and I said, you know, my sin was this ambition. Uh -huh. And so he would always move me into positions I felt very unqualified for. 
So I always walked in in a posture of, I, I, I didn't interview for the job. I wasn't aspiring to the job. I got put in the job and I was like, really? In fact, um, my favorite story was I knew that they were going to put me in that position at Borders and there was a year to prepare. And that was the hardest year of my life because they mixed things up so that I could have exposure to other things. But the day it happened, they came in and they said, oh, by the way, we're going to give you borders.com. Now, this was when Amazon was the poster child for the dot-com boom, right? And we know what Amazon is today. And the Wall Street Journal said, slackers. And I remember sitting there when a member of the board told me that that was going to happen. And I said, I have to tell you, I do not know how to operate a floppy disk. And you are <laughs> ready to entrust me. With and 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 he just smiled and he said, "We got lots of people that can float that can that can load your floppy disk. We just need you to show up and be wise about strategy and integrating brand and what are we going to do with this." So it was, but that feeling of, I I don't even know how to begin this. It's not what I imagined. And then always keeping you on your knees. And I, I that was really my whole journey. I mean, there were times when you know, favor would fall and a promotion would come and I'd go, oh, I don't, I don't know if I really, I don't know if I'm the right one to go do that. But when God pushes us to uncomfortable and our dependence is high on him, then it's really pretty clear that when things are accomplished, it is going to be his glory. And I have seen that over and over and over again. And so in that that what appears to be success is this great humility because I know, I know it's not me. It's been him. Wow. Well, that may bring us back. I just have to say, I am so encouraged by this conversation. And one of the reasons is as a woman who has also often been put into uncomfortable situations where I have to. I know you share that. You share that. Um, I, I often tell myself, oh, there's leaders that this is easy for, you know, there there's leaders who have this together and they look shiny and polished and everything they touch goes up and to the right. And everybody loves them pretty much all the time. (laughs) And, and that is not, I mean, that isn't just, that's just not reality you know, at least not in my leadership um, journey, which has been fairly long now. And so it's easy for me to say, well, but I'm doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. And when you, but I think it's such a false narrative. Yes. I think the real narrative is no, God wants us knowing we show up. Yes. (laughs) And that's our, that's our, our worship is going, okay, God, we show up, but you're, you're the one who does it. Anything that lasts, anything that matters you're going to be the one who does. And, well, you know, um, Naomi, he sent me on a journey with that. Um, when I lost my mother-in-law, I was reading a book of Ross, uh, a book about loss and just mourning. And, but there was this thing and I spent weeks going through scripture, trying to find a time where God called someone out where they didn't have to take a, a, an incredible step of faith. And you can't find them. You can't find a comfortable situation in the Bible. I mean, even when, you know, Mary's pressuring Jesus to like change the water into the wine, they had to go get the water. There's always this step. And, um, you know, and I, and I've, 
after I did that and I could see that, you know, I've really enjoyed the chosen and watching some of those. And, and I'm always looking for that. I'm like, but they had to come first. They had to do something. They had to answer. Do you want to be healed? Do you need to go, go do this, go do that. And, and it's what we can do. You know, Jesus could have showed up and said, Lazarus awake. And then the boulder could have went, you know, but I mean, wouldn't that have been epic, right? But he didn't. He said, roll the stone. And they all were like, he's been dead for a while. This is not pleasant. But they could do that. They could obey that. But only he could bring him back. And I I think about that all the time. So it's really every day. It's like, Lord, you see me? This is really hard. It's like you mentioned, it's kind of a crazy time for us right now. I'm doing everything that I know to do, but you have, you're the outcomes. The outcomes are in your hands. So come in and show your greatness in this moment. And he is faithful. He is faithful. He really is. God really is. So I know, you know, how there's that question that says, what would you do if you knew you could not fail? You know, um, it's almost like we're saying, how would you live if you knew that God would not fail? And, and if we really live in that, oh my goodness, what freedom. And I would live in that. If someone said, well, if you don't think, I mean, I don't even think I want that because I feel like if I could live that I couldn't fail, I would fall. I would be left to my own desires. I would succumb to those and I would be on a path that would lead to death. Absolutely. I'd get super analytical. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, well, the data shows just, just ask anybody who's worked around me. Exactly. exactly. It would be, it would, it would not be a good outcome for anyone. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I want to go back to this verse that you chose as we love to conclude our time by inviting people to just listen to scripture and let it just kind of wash over them and, and, and kind of bring to life what, what draws their attention that maybe within their own life and their own story, God wants to say, yes, more of that, (laughs) you know, and for more of that for you. So you have uh, this verse and I have saved it on my phone and I'm trying not to be tech challenge, which I'm not normally, but of course, while you're trying to do it on a podcast, you might become it. Um, but I would love to do this. It's Romans chapter four, verses 20 to 22. Is that correct, Tammy? Yes, it is. Okay. And it's Abraham. So he's talking about Abraham. Okay, cool. Well, I think you're going to start in just a moment. And genuinely, all my, all my phone wants to do is pay some bill. <laughs> I'm like, stop. <laughs> I want to get back to the Bible. <laughs> anyway. Oh dear. Well, that's um, a stewardship responsibility. Maybe you need to click and pay, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like trying to bring up some credit card thing that, uh, yeah, isn't, isn't what I want to be doing right now. So, um, anyhow, um, yeah. How about I, I may actually go get a physical Bible. I have a couple of those. I'm blessed to have those. So, um, and join this, but let me just see one more time if I can get it to, to work out here. I think I can. I think I can. (laughs) Influence comes from trusting God, right, Tammy? Um, Okay, we got the we got the real stuff here. So, all right. So, um, what I'd love to do is I'll start by reading um, this in the um, 
new international version. And then if you could read it in the King James version, and then I'll close in the New Living Translation. And then we'll say goodbye. Sound good? Lovely. Okay. Ah, so I'm going to start with prayer because not being able to get my screen to get off of my credit card was a problem there. God, I thank you for peace that comes from the limits that we find ourselves facing, even sometimes technological limits. And I thank you for your word, which is, which is living and active and tells a story, not of perfect people and strong people, but a story of people who trusted you and through their trust, when they trusted, you have multiplied your goodness and your influence through them, just like through Tammy's grandma, through Tammy and her following you in obedience and through King Asa, particularly in his earlier years. So um, as we read these words, God, we just pray that our souls and hearts would be illuminated and reinvigorated in the stories you have for each of us today. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right. So from the New International Version. There we go. From Romans chapter 4, verses 20 to 22. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. And then this is the New King James translation. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. From the New Living Translation, Romans 4, 20 to 22. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. Thank you, God, for these words. Well... We've come to the end of our time, Tammy, and such a joy to hear how God's story and the story of those who follow him, like your grandma and your brother, I encourage everybody to go read the article on everywomanstory.com. And then how you said from a very determined place in your life, as you left college saying, I'm going to give up my idea of my story. Mm-hmm. I'm going to cancel that great job and I'm going to go live whatever story God has for me, even before you knew a single line of what it was going to be. So thank you for your example today. And uh, your hashtag again was no turning back. I love that. No turning back. All right. Well, thank you everybody for joining us. Thank you, Tammy, for spending this time with us. And I love that you talked about outcomes. I'm just going to mention something. You lead this fabulous organization called the Christian Leadership Alliance, which brings together all these different Christian ministries. And once a year, you guys have a conference called the Outcomes Conference. So I thought it's yes. interesting. That's what she trusts to God. And that's the name of the conference that she leads every and year. And 
I believe that the Bible project releases on the first day of our conference on April 9th and uh, 2024. That is so fun. That's, I love it. So the Every Woman's Bible, which the Every Woman's Story community talks about a little bit. And this conference, the Outcomes Conference will, will be birthed. The 2024 version of it will be birthed on the same day. The Outcomes Conference has been going on for quite a few years. So how many? 48 about? years, 48 years, but oh yes. Just, just well, and Naomi, I'm just thinking the theme of the conference is therefore, where it's biblical truth. And on the other side of therefore is humanity's response to it. Love it. And isn't that, I mean, that's God's word at work. That's so, right. Praise okay. him that this is going to be releasing on, on that day as people are going to be thinking about their response. I love it. That is beautiful. So again, thanks for joining us on Every Woman's Story with Stonecroft podcast, where we invite you to uh, to the invitation that is for every person to find a seat at Jesus' table and to discover your story in God's story. Thanks for being with us, Tammy. So great to be with you again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.